here is the truth. We are happier when we feel connected, when we have friends. What we're doing right now is leading to 60% loneliness. So it's not working. Just letting people do it organically and just hoping it works isn't working. It's not leading to a connected population. So is what we're going to have to do going to feel awkward to most of us? Yes, because it's going to feel different than what we're currently doing. Is it going to feel, some people might use the word forced, I might use the word intentional? Yes, it is. And is it going to make you get a little nervous and make you feel a little awkward? Probably. And is that a bad thing? No. Relational social health is on the other side of some relationship sweat. And so if we keep having leaders and employees avoid anything that feels awkward or uncomfortable or outside of their comfort zone, we just stay where we are and we just stay on the couches watching TV and we just stay in our little work cubicles working and being productive and we just stay lonely. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves why cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. I'm your host, Maria Ross. I'm a speaker, author, mom, facilitator, and empathy advocate. And here you'll meet trailblazing leaders and executives, authors, and experts who embrace empathy to achieve radical success. We discuss all facets of empathy from trends and research to the future of work, to how to heal societal divisions and collaborate more effectively. Our goal is to redefine success and prove that empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. Old school leadership thinking claims that work is work and personal is personal and never the two shall meet. We're here to work, not make friends, some say. However, how many of your friends, or in my case, also my spouse, resulted from work relationships? How much more joyful is the work, however challenging, when you know friends have your back? How much more engaged are you? After all, you often see these people more often in a given week, whether in person or over Zoom, than your partner or children. My guest today is a friendship expert, author, and keynote speaker, Shasta Nelson. She is a leading expert on friendship who speaks across the country and facilitates events for connection. She's appeared in many media outlets, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Reader's Digest. And she's been interviewed live on dozens of TV shows, including The Today Show and Steve Harvey. Plus, if you haven't yet seen her popular TEDx talk, then you'll want to check that out later. Her most recent book is The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of Our Relationships Where We Spend Most of Our Time. Today, we discuss the myths around work friendships and why encouraging friendships at work and making intentional connections leads to not only higher performance, engagement, retention, and loyalty, but less absenteeism and better health for you and your employees. How work friendships lead to trust and safety, we discuss the epidemic of loneliness, how to balance personal relationships with tough business situations, and why it's in a leader's and organization's best interest to foster work friendships. They're not a distraction. In fact, they improve performance. Shasta shares what we learn as school-age kids and how it applies to work and what healthy friendships at work actually look like. This is such an important episode please take a listen. Let's get connected. If you're loving this content, don't forget to go to theempathyedge.com and sign up for the email list to get free resources and more empathy-infused success tips and find out how you can book me as a speaker. 
I want to hear how empathy is helping you be more successful. So please sign up now at TheEmpathyEdge.com. Oh, and follow me on Instagram, where I'm always posting all the things for you, at Red Slice Maria. Welcome, my friend, Shasta Nelson, to the Empathy Edge podcast. We finally made this happen. Yay, I'm so glad. I'm really happy to be here with you. I know, and you and I have known each other for years, being authors and speakers, and I have long admired your work on the importance of friendship, which, I, you know, as folks know, just hearing your bio, you started on this journey of more about personal friendship. But in recent years, like me, you found a bunch of data and research about the importance of friendship at work and how it drives performance and productivity and morale and engagement and all the things. So before we get into all that, can you give us a brief, how did you get to friendship work? What's the story? I just know the research around how important relationships are to everything. And so I think my just even way back in the day when it was like, it was tied to your success, it was tied to your sense of your health, your sense of belonging, like just you go down the list. And yet, you know, especially when I first started studying this way back in like 2008 with like archaic times, everybody was so obsessed with romantic relationships and parent-child relationships. Like those were the only ones people mattered about. Like you go into a bookstore and there were just shelves and shelves of books on those subjects and certainly work relationships, but they were also all focused on toxic people back then or just like how to put up with the annoying coworker. But you didn't really see things on how to just build all the healthy relationships you need in, our, in your life. And how much more all those other relationships, like who you work next to impacts your health more than sometimes who your spouse is, who you work next to impacts you definitely more than who your doctor is. I mean, we are like our friendships end up having so much more impact in our lives than those 2.5 kids or that one spouse or that one person that you have. And yet we just really I think I just kind of zeroed in on it because I was like, why is nobody talking about these all these other relationships? And so you can only hear yourself say that so many times before you're like, okay, I will. <laughs> yeah. I'll start talking about I'll it. I'll start talking. And I know, you know, for you and for many women of our age, it's also a very personal dilemma sometimes. It is harder to make friends as an adult in general and even harder for men, I would presume, given some of the data that you've shared. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the epidemic of loneliness, because even though I've heard about it a lot, I'm more in tune to it. And even our U.S. Attorney General is talking about it as a health issue. Tell us what you found from a very health oriented perspective. Yes, yeah, so one of my favorite subjects. We could do a whole hour on that. And I will just say it does feel harder as an adult sometimes to us. But back to your kind of earlier point. Why it feels harder is actually because of one of the three requirements of relationship, but we can dive into all of three of them at some point. But one of them is consistency. And consistency can sometimes feel harder as adults. But that's why the workplace friendships become so important because work is to adults like school was to us as children. It is a place of consistency where we are paid to show up next to each other. We don't have to invite and plan and schedule and put it on our calendars for three weeks out. And so that is why work is the number one place we make friends as adults is that consistency piece. And so, or find our husbands. <laughs> there you go for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so like, let's just acknowledge that is the case that it's happening and that the research actually bears out that it's a benefit to the employer and to the employee when it does happen. So it's really important. And so then diving deeper into your, the second part of kind of your question around the health, 
like from and obviously a corporation benefits from us being healthy and not calling in a sick and recovering from surgeries faster and having a stronger immune system and having stronger mental health. But obviously, I talk about it from like we benefit from our physical health and friendship and feeling all healthy relationships are probably the number one factor to how long you will live, to the quality of life you will have, and to really how strong you are physically. It's worse, like if you feel disconnected on a regular basis, it's worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's twice as harmful as being obese. It does the equivalent damage on your body as being a lifelong alcoholic. It's worse than not exercising. It's worse than living in pollution. I mean, you just go down the list. And if you feel lonely, it is almost impossible to like do enough healthy lifestyle habits to make up for the stress that it happens to your body, to just live with the feeling of not being supported. We are wired to function when we feel supported. We feel more hopeful. We feel more resilient. We feel safer. And so, yeah, you can go back to from, you know, whether it's evolutionary or biological or psychological, all the different methods, like when it comes down to it, we function happier and healthier when we feel connected. And so whether that's you know, it just plays out in so many ways in our physical totally. totally. So I love that you made that bridge there because we do spend the bulk of our time at work. And whether, you know, now we are in a hybrid environment or a virtual environment or you you have been brought back to the office, whatever, whatever that looks like, these are still people that you're consistently interacting with throughout the day. And like you said, oftentimes more than your spouse or your kids. So talk to us about what does friendship at work look like? Because I think that the pushback you sometimes hear is that work is work and personal is personal. And when you blur those lines, even though the pandemic showed us we can blur those lines and we'll be okay, right? <laughs> that it detracts from the work you need to do or from the performance. So first talk about what does friendship at work look like? Yeah. You know, it always cracks me up because, yeah, when I first started saying that I was going to do a book on workplace friendships, everybody was like, that's so great, except, and it was like, everybody had like this big hesitation or fear, but like, but what about favoritism? Or what if you're the boss and you have to like discipline? Again, it was just like, nobody could just be like, oh, that's great. It was just always like fear immediately. And like the, but what ifs? And we have a lot of issues around it. And it's kind of funny because I always say, it's funny, none of us, I've never heard anybody send their kid to school and say, okay, you are there to learn. Don't get distracted with other people, with drama, with all the relationships. Like, just stay focused. Keep your school life separate from your personal life. Like, we never expect that blending things together is a problem. And then suddenly we become adults. And now suddenly <laughs> the thing that we're the place where we're supposed to be the most creative, show up and make the biggest contribution in the world, use our strengths, collaborate, the place where we actually do all the things better when we're doing it together. Now, suddenly that's the place where, where we're like, well... Make sure you keep all these straight lines and all these things. And you're like, what are you talking about? And then that's why I finally wrote this book, because I was like, the research has been telling us for two decades, at least. I mean, we can go back even further than that. But Gallup has been very clear for 20 years. And they're still coming out and saying this, that if you have a best friend at work, you are seven times more engaged in your job. That engagement means you treat your customers better. That engagement means you're more loyal to your company. That engagement means you call in sick less often. It actually means fewer workplace accidents. It means better inventory control. I mean, the list of the things it does for us is so strong. Like if you care about retention and losing like less turnover, then the number one thing you should be focusing on is building better relationships in your workplace with each other. And so 
it kind of has driven me crazy, as you can probably hear it in my voice. I was like, why are companies not Googling friendship speakers? Why are they not looking at friendship? Why are they not prioritizing this? Like, why are they not only not prioritizing it when all, all the data continues to show, like even studies coming out every month, I see a different study now saying the number one issue to workplace satisfaction is who your coworkers are. <laughs> you know, the number one issue for somebody staying at a company is do they have friends there? I mean, it just comes out repeatedly. Well, they're not only not talking about it, they're discouraging it. I think that's exactly. the other thing. And so that's why I want to get to that question is, so when you talk about friendship at work, people have an image in their mind. So tell us what it is and what it isn't. Yeah. Good question. So what it is, I teach friendship on a spectrum for lack of a better word. So at the bottom of that spectrum should be like people we are friendly with. So there's a difference between people we're friendly with and people we develop a friendship with. And maybe on the opposite side of the spectrum are the people who we feel like we are the closest to them. They're our best friends. They know everything about us. We process life with them. We do life with them. We see ourselves being in touch with them forever kind of a thing. And so we've got this spectrum. And I say at a workplace, everybody should at least be in the bottom of the spectrum should be we are friendly with each other. You can rely on each other. We are kind with each other. We are respectful to each other. That's minimum. And then as you move up that spectrum, a workplace friendship should be about halfway up that spectrum. And you know, a good, strong team should be halfway up, which means we can rely on each other. We trust each other. We have psychological safety. We feel like we can brainstorm and we're not going to be ridiculed or ostracized. We feel like we can say, I don't know how to do that. Will you help me? We can admit like, I've got too much going on right here. I'm, I'm like, I'm not sure the best way forward. Let's collaborate on this. It means admitting when you don't know. It admit means not just hiring for diversity, but taking the time to like learn from each other's stories and different backgrounds and what we can like, what makes us different and how we can make that a better team and a better product and a better service. And so, yeah, it means we have to have enough safety with each other to know each other, to express with each other. We need to feel supported. I need to feel like you have my back. I need to feel like I'm not in battle against you, but we're in battle. And I don't even want the violent terms, but we're in this together. We're like trying to make this service for the world. We're doing this product. Like we are on the same side and we need to- We're on the same team. Yeah. And I think, you know, the image people get though, is that it's going to be super emotional, super full of, you know, negative drama. It's going to detract from the work. And that's not what you're saying. You're saying you want to develop these friendships in order to not have that. Exactly. So some of the reasons that leaders seem to discourage friendships at work is because they have this image of what friendship at work looks like. And it might look like being super emotional or melodramatic or overly dramatic or, you know, just letting it all hang out and detracting from actually getting work done, you know, in some cases, gossiping, in some cases, you know, screwing around. So what is it? What does it actually look like? And what does it not feel like? Yeah, it's a great question. And those are all the fears that we all legitimately have. And yet I always say, it's funny, you can say we don't want friends, you can make sure everyone's out. And that doesn't take those fears away. Like we still will have favoritism. We'll still have gossip. We'll still have clicks. We'll still get our feelings hurt. And in fact, we have more of all those things we fear, the less we have friends at work. And so the solution isn't to avoid friendship. The solution is to lean into it and train for and help us know how to do better friendship better and to develop stronger relationships with each other, more trust with each other, more of a sense of camaraderie. Because yeah, all these fears, those are like, like some of the, those are just negative qualities 
that we have when we feel isolated, when we feel alone, when we don't feel supported, when we feel like nobody knows us, when we don't feel like we're gotten. What we're describing, what we're most afraid of are the things that happen when we're lonely. <laughs> like those things get heightened the lonelier we are. And so really the solution is to start saying, what can we do to bring more joy to this workplace? What can we do to help us feel more supported in this workplace? And will there sometimes be conflict? Absolutely. There's conflict in our marriages and we don't not get married. There's conflict in friendships outside of work and we don't say, well, we just should never be friends because we might disappoint each other. We say, yes, those are risks of when people interact and be in relationship. But rather than avoiding it, let's prepare for it. Let's train ourselves for it. Let's practice what we can do in those moments. And the workplace will be stronger for having us practice those hard conversations sometimes. It will definitely be stronger for us supporting each other and cheering for each other and celebrating each other. And so everything we want more of in our workplaces is the result of healthy relationships, not of alienation, isolation, and loneliness. I love this because the best jobs I've ever had is where I've made good friends that have lasted beyond the job. And we were the most productive teams. We actually had fun at work. Not that the work was always fun, but we had fun at work being together. And so this is why with the new book that I'm working on, Joy, as part of the culture, is a pillar of having being a healthy, empathetic leader. So tell us, so let's say leaders listening to this, yes, we're having some negativity. People don't trust themselves. I do want to encourage friendships at work. What are some ways they can do that without just, hey, go make friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't an all bad plan, even that. No, but right. One of the really interesting things when I was doing the research for my book was how many of us want friends? And then I would ask the follow-up question of, do you feel like your supervisor wants you to have friends? Do you feel like your organization wants you to have friends? And those numbers drop in half, you know? So most of us are walking around wanting friends at work and yet when we're by the proverbial water cooler, whatever form that takes in our hybrid workplace right now, if our supervisor walks up, do we feel like we need to stop talking so we don't look like we're not being productive, right? And so it's a leader's job to say, I believe the research. I believe that when we have friends at work, we all are happier and it benefits all of us. And so it is our job to like say, it's an important part of us. We want to do, we want you to, I want you to bond. I want you to like each other. I want you to feel supported here. I want you to have a friend here. Absolutely. And so saying that, modeling it, talking about your own friendships, talking, making sure everybody on your team and department knows what are the things your company does that can help be a resource for friendship. What are the ERG groups? What are the events going on? What are the different resources available? And being able to provide opportunities for it. Do your employees know when and where it's appropriate for them to connect? You know, I think about going to Trader Joe's and I I walk in and I love that while they're stacking and stocking and kind of doing that, they're talking about their weekend. But the second I walk up to the produce section, they immediately stop and say, is there anything you're looking for? And I go, no, I'm good. And they're like, okay. And then they go back to talking about their weekend. They clearly have a culture that's not that they can't talk about their personal lives. Are there some things they shouldn't be out there talking about on the floor around customers? Absolutely. But they can be connecting. And I actually walk in, and I go, I love Trader Joe's. They all like, like, they look like good friends. They look like they like each other. I like shopping there because I believe they have friends with you. You know, like you, the, everybody feels it. Do your employees know where it's appropriate for them to be talking? Is there only a break room or are they allowed to do it in front of customers? I mean, and do they know when? Do they get to eat lunches at the same time? Or have you split them all up where they never even have time together? You know, and so thinking through those kinds of things, do you, are you offering ways in meetings for them to hear about what's going on in each other's lives, whether it's 
a quick round table of everybody getting to kind of talk about something they did this weekend or breaking them into twos. Even that just takes three minutes, like just turn like I'm going to put you in a breakout room with one other person. And I want you to share one thing that you're proud of from the last week, you know, or one thing that what's one thing bringing you inspiration these days, you know, anything I've got like a whole list of sharing questions. But are you providing those moments? And are you making sure that there's no question if I were to come in and ask people on your team, does your boss want you to have friends? They'd be like, yes, <laughs> that would be the litmus test of, yeah, they should absolutely at minimum know that you value that. So how do leaders who who do create strong relationships with their teams, they do become friends, so to speak, with their teams. How have you found that they walk the line of being friends, being trusted by their employees, trusting their employees, maybe even getting to know them on a personal level, maybe even doing things outside of work with them, and the needs of the business when times get tough or there's a challenge or they have to have a difficult conversation? What are some practices or methods you found that successful leaders do to balance both of those? Yep. And you know, we're capable of this. We do this all the time. We know that when we're married and we have kids, we're going to wear two different hats as romantic lovers and as parents, right? And we know that there's going to be a chance of blurry lines and conflict, but we know that we can have more than one relationship, one role with somebody. And so we absolutely know that as we build our friendship with the people, the higher that trust and the higher that support goes, also goes higher responsibility for being able to practice vulnerable conversations, which includes hard conversations sometimes. So I always say it's not about building a friendship and you're at risk of letting your friends off the hook. It's actually that if I have a friendship with you, we actually have a higher responsibility to, quote, be on the hook with each other. We have a higher responsibility. Like that's the deepening of our relationship is to be able to have those questions and say, to be able to say even proactively if possible, you know, we have, I love that we can talk about all this stuff and be friends. If, when I have to like say something hard to you, what's the best way for me to do that with you? Like what would be important to you if I had to discipline you? If I had to like, you know, be have these conversations, it's bonding. If you never have to actually do the discipline, you'd still deepen the friendship by talking about it and showing that you care, that you have empathy for what they would most want, how they, how you would want them to do it. Um, when you get promoted, I mean, I have a whole, a whole bunch of questions in my book of like, if you get promoted and now you're going to start overseeing a friend, have all these conversations with each other, you know, and like have like get to know each other. What do I most need from you now? How might it look different? What are you most afraid of now that you're going to be my boss? What are you most afraid of now that I'm you're reporting to me? What can I do to alleviate that fear? What do we need to do to increase our trust in each other? What's appropriate? And like talk about the relationship. The closer you are in friendship, the more you should be able to have these conversations. And yeah, it's so important that you open up more conversation and communication around the different roles you share with each other. I love this because I don't know if I ever shared this story with you, but after I met my husband and we were engaged, I got promoted at work and he was still more junior than me. He didn't report to me, but there was a global project I was working on. And so someone on my project team was required to get information and get content from him. And I was pushing this person to deliver what they needed to deliver to me. And I remember one Saturday, I was like, let's go, whatever. And he's like, I can't because so-and-so said I had to get this stuff to her because you needed it Monday. <laughs> and I remember it was like, oh, sorry. You know? <laughs> but it was like we understood what yeah. was happening there. And that was like a separate thing. And 
I love your advice about having the proactive conversation and the empathetic conversation of, you know, I love this relationship that we have. I love that we can trust each other. But if there comes a time where we're having some conflict or some challenges, what are some ways we can communicate with each other while still preserving our friendship, if that's important to us? Absolutely. And I just think that sometimes that is a fear-based, I'm not going to be able to balance it, so I'm not going to pursue it at all. Yeah. Well, to be honest, to be honest, Maria, we live in a culture where we, quite frankly, suck at having vulnerable, authentic conversations with conflict. I mean, (laughs) this is something I'm talking about all the time and just friendship outside of work. We would rather ghost each other than say what's happening. We would rather just walk away or just talk about that person with other people than to go talk to them about it. I mean, we would call them toxic without ever them I mean, I hear from people all the time who don't even know why the friendship broke off. They don't even have these conversations, whereas like we just don't do it well in general. And so I think it's less one of the fears of the workplace is, yeah, but just because we're not doing it well, the answer isn't let's just keep not doing it well and keep being more and more isolated. We have 60% of us are lonely in the workplace. The research is coming out again and again. That is a big number. That would be the equivalent as if we had 60% of our kids going to school on empty stomachs. We know they can't learn when they're hungry. And we have programs in place as much as we possibly can to try to help make sure that fundamental need is being met. Right now, we have 60% of our adult workforce going to work hungry for connection and relationships. And if we don't help provide that, they are not working in the way we want them to work. So we are not getting their best. And in fact, we're getting their worst. We have good research that shows when they're lonely, they're less empathetic. Do we want a less empathetic workforce? No. When they're lonely, they treat customers worse. They take things more personally. They're more judgmental. They see fear and problems more. They they don't see solutions. And so, I mean, we it's to our benefit to start saying the answer isn't to be afraid of the fears. The answer is to start building connection and start training us to know how to handle tough things with each other. We can do this. So it probably drives you crazy when there's leaders that say, we're not here to make friends. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, then you're not here to be productive. You're not here to change the world. You're not here to do all the things. brainstorming things. You're not here to have a really loyal, engaged workforce. Like, good luck with that. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, I think also what you are teaching and what you're leading about can get met with the fact that you don't have to make your best friends at work. That's not what we're saying. It's not an all or and. It's just you can become friends and be friendly with the people you work with. And it actually benefits the organization. Nobody's saying you have to invite all those people to your wedding. Exactly. And it goes back to that spectrum of friendship. It's not all or nothing. It's not friends or enemies or friends or nothing. It's the spectrum of friendship. At the bottom of it, we treat everybody kindly friendly with respect. And that should be taught in all of our workplaces. That is just minimum treatment. Um, And yes, with our people that we're working with closely, that we're seeing regularly, that we're interacting, that we're on teams with, we should be moving up to being good friends. We should be trusting each other. We should say, I assume that person wants the best for me. I want the best for them. I want us to both succeed. And yes, absolutely. Some of us might find a best friend at work. Some of us might not know that they're our best friend until after we leave there. It might be something that builds up over years. But yeah, absolutely not all of us need to be best friends with everybody. And some of us will find a best friend at work. But the goal is to create healthy friendships with as many people as you can. And we know, like when I do surveying and research on a team, we can directly see the correlation. 
that if you have one friend on your team, your job satisfaction goes up more, obviously, than if it's zero people. But if you have two friends on your team, it goes up another five points. And then if you have three friends on your team, it goes up. And so we can see double digits increase for how you enjoy your job based on how many friends you have. We can see how likely you are to stay at that job based on how many friends you have, you know, and so it's uh, it does matter. It benefits you in a big way as a boss and also as the worker. Right. So I'm going to ask you this one, which is a little bit personal because my husband hates this when his workplaces. And it's this idea of forced fun. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. It's this idea of like, we're going to have happy hour every Friday and everyone's sort of expected to attend. And, you know, you're not necessarily friends. You can be friendly, but you're not necessarily friends with all those people. And you don't want to do the bowling night. You don't want to do that. So what do you say to a leader or even just a worker that's on the receiving end of that? Like, where is it appropriate to have events or have opportunities to come together and get to know each other personally? And when is it overkill? Yeah. So obviously, we all have different personalities. Obviously, we all show up. And, you know, it's so funny. I mean, even in my family dynamic, I can feel this happen. You know, it's like one person like, oh, here's Shasta with her sharing questions again. You know, I know. <laughs> and like, I know my husband's like that with board games. For me. He refuses to play board games. I'm like, I love game night. But here is the truth. We are happier when we feel connected, when we have friends. What we're doing right now is leading to 60% loneliness. So it's not working. Just letting people do it organically and just hoping it works isn't working. It's not leading to a connected population. So is what we're going to have to do going to feel awkward to most of us? Yes, because it's going to feel different than what we're currently doing. Is it going to feel, some people might use the word forced. I might use the word intentional. Yes, it is. And is it going to make you get a little nervous and make you feel a little awkward? Probably. And is that a bad thing? No. I talk all the time about physical health. You go to the gym and when you start to sweat or breathe a little fast and your heart rate goes up, do you stop and say, oh my goodness, this must not be good. My heart rate's going up. Like I need to stop this. No, we understand that physical health is on the other side of sweat. We actually go knowing we're going to sweat. We actually lift muscle, like lift weights knowing it tears our muscles a little bit. Like that's the crazy thing. We actually go knowing we're hurting ourselves because we know I use hurting myself in quotes, but we know that on the other side, when that muscle heals, it's stronger. But yet when it comes to our social health, as soon as people like your husband and people in my family go, well, this is a little awkward and they start emotionally sweating a little bit and they go, this isn't fun. The goal isn't to pull back and only stay comfortable. The goal is to say social health is on the other side of a little bit of relational sweat. Social health is on the other side of doing like lifting the weight a little heavier than you're used to lifting, walking a little further than you're used to walking, stretching a little bit further than you're used to stretching. Sorry, I love that. Say that again. <laughs> Relational social health is on the other side of some relationship sweat. And so if we keep having leaders and employees avoid anything that feels awkward or uncomfortable or outside of their comfort zone, we just stay where we are and we just stay on the couches watching TV and we just stay in our little work cubicles working and being productive and we just stay lonely. So it's not working. And so, yes, it's going to feel forced. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay saying, as long as I'm paying you <laughs> to be in this space, it's okay if I'm paying you. It's one thing to ask you to come spend weekends and evenings with people you don't want to be spending time with. But if it's during work hours and I'm like, you know what? 
just as I pay you. And force- We're all going to lunch. Yeah, I force yeah. you to come to a meeting. Why not force you to come to a lunch with people? I mean, it's okay. That's what we're here to do. So I'm okay with it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and also, as I think also the other side of this, having spoken to a lot of DEIB experts, is that as long as you're also offering opportunities for different types of people, right? So are those all accessible? Do introverts want to go out to the loud bar every time you guys have happy hour? Maybe not. So maybe find some different ways to be creative. And that was actually what was so beautiful about the pandemic is that over Zoom, companies got really creative. Like my husband's team did a whole like terrarium building activity together with someone guiding it. They did a wine tasting. They did, you know, a drawing class or something. They did all these different modalities of team building. And we were forced to do it because we couldn't get together in person because the default in person is the happy hour, which again, and some people don't drink. Exactly. Some people are recovering alcoholics. You don't want to put them in an awkward position either. So it's like shaking it up a little and being creative in terms of the things that you do, knowing that not 100% of the people might participate in everything, but are you giving people an opportunity? And also, one company I worked for had you know a, a buddy system where... Part of it was you got paired with the buddy when you joined the organization. And that was very forced. You didn't know that person. But another part of it was you were kind of required to go to lunch with them like every other month or something like that. And so it created a connection. And maybe the connection went nowhere after you left that job. But at least you got to know that person outside of the context of the work you needed from each other. And some of us, you know, honestly... We, as much as we don't like the word force, I mean, I'd like, I would probably go back to like intentional, like having an expectation or something like that. But still, all of them have a sense of like when the companies who, when you join a company, they have an onboarding process where we want you to have phone calls with these different five people or we want you to meet these, this group of people. Like, like those are quote forced. I mean, those are planned for you. And are you nervous before talking to the marketing CEO, the marketing, you know, officer? Are you awkward about talking to payroll and getting to know them? Yes. And aren't you glad? I mean, I talk to people and I'm like, aren't you glad that that was set up for you and you didn't either have to just never have those relationships or have to go initiate them yourselves? And every single person to a person said, yes, I was like, it was so much easier than it done for me. Right. And so there is something that goes, yeah, are we creating an expectation and setting that path and putting a process in place that some people will be like, oh, geez. Yes. And it's okay because at the end of that, we want you to feel like you know how to call the payroll person and have a little bit of rapport with them. We want you to feel like you know the people on your team. And we, it comes down to, do you believe the research? The mountains and mountains of research that we are human beings who are meant to be social and connected and that it pays off to be that way. And if you do, then you set up your workplace to support that. And if it's awkward for some people, if we need to teach new skills, if we need to set new expectations, if we need to cast a bigger vision, that's what we do as leaders. That's our calling. That's our job is to not just keep reverting to like what has been done and what the norm is and what's comfortable and what's easy. The call is to say, I want to be as effective as possible. I want my people to be as collaborative and supported and appreciated and safe as possible. And so I am going to do what I can do to build those to build those relationships. And so, yeah, and I love your point around doing that in diversity. And maybe this is a good place, Maria, for us to talk about what actually is a healthy relationship because that can set a framework for what activities and what kind of things we want to do as leaders to help create that environment for healthy relationships. Does that Absolutely. sound like a good place Let's to go? Let's go there because I think that that is also, you know, again, going back to the question earlier, what does 
friendship at work look like? It's really what does a healthy relationship at work look like? So talk to us about that as we wrap up. Yeah. So the goal isn't just a happy hour. The goal is a happy hour. If that, if like that's ours to go to, like, what is it we're actually trying to create? What are we actually trying to do? And I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, that consistency is one of the top three requirements of all healthy relationships. Consistency means we are interacting on a regular basis. We're creating shared memories. It's our time that we're logging. It's the, it's the history that we build. It helps at work because we have proximity. We also have a lot more frequency. We're seeing each other way more frequently than we probably are college friends or, you know, family members. And so, yeah, this is like all, all consistency. This is one of the things that made friendship feel easy at school when we were kids is the consistency was built in. But consistency isn't enough. We all know we've worked with people and that just by itself isn't enough to build a healthy relationship. When we look at all the social science, we see three things that are in common in every single healthy relationship. The second one is positive emotions. Positivity is we want to make sure that all people, both people, are walking away from each interaction, that time together, feeling more pleasant feelings than unpleasant feelings. And so that means we want them to feel empathy. We want them to feel joy. We want them to feel hopeful. We want them to feel inspired. We want them to feel proud. We want them to feel whimsical. Like you, there's hundreds of fabulous positive emotions, pleasant emotions, and we want them feeling as many of those as possible. The research shows that we want to have five, hopefully the quantity, five positive emotions, pleasant emotions for every negative one. So there are going to be annoyances. There's going to be stressors. There's going to be deadlines. There's going to be unmet expectations, but we as a healthy team, as friends at work, want to do our very best to throw gratitude on there and appreciation and anything that leaves each other feeling pleasant feelings. And the third requirement is vulnerability. Vulnerability is where we feel like we can be ourselves. It means we feel like we can kind of let you know a little bit about who I am, what's going on in my life. It also means that we know each other's strengths at work, that we know what each person brings to the team. It also means that we feel safe brainstorming and throwing ideas out there. That's vulnerability. It means we know how to apologize and are safe feeling like we can come and admit when we're wrong. That takes incredible vulnerability. We also want vulnerability when it comes to being able to say, I don't know, or say no when we need to say no, or say yes when we want to say yes. Like It takes incredible vulnerability to show up and have our opinions heard and our ideas shared and our who we are brought to the table for good. And so, yes, we want that. And so kind of going back to your earlier fear, we're not talking about like, disclosure. We're not necessarily talking about needing to have like, we're not here at work to process our personal lives. That's a different form of vulnerability, but we absolutely need healthy vulnerability to know who, like, what does Maria, who is she and what makes her tick and how do I work well with her and what does she do? How do I celebrate her? What feels good to her? What does she need from me? What does it look like, you know, and being able to know each other where we feel like we can build that healthy relationship. So I love that consistency, positivity and vulnerability. That was exactly, I was hoping you'd recap that for us. I mean, that's like the magic triangle of a healthy relationship. And I always remember that when I think of your work. And I'm so glad you brought that up again. So well, let, me, to, let me just say to that, so I mean, a happy hour is one way if we're spending time together and if, if that happy hour is set up where we can have conversations so the consistency happens. If it's set up where we actually are having meaningful conversation, that's one of the problems about a happy hour is it might not be set up for vulnerability or you know, like it's up to each person. And positivity is not always there. So there's better events to normally do, but it depends. Like, so what we're aiming for as leaders is what I'm creating an opportunity for people to know each other, to enjoy each other, and to feel safe with each other, to spend time with each other. And so when we're trying to create ways for people to do that stuff, it's always going back to does this, will this increase their fun factor, their joy factor, their feeling accepted? Does this increase their opportunity to know each other? And does this feel like quality time? 
And so when you name, when you I can use that, those three things as a way to say, yes, that's what this offsite will do. Yes, that's what this team meeting will do. Yes, this is what we will do on the retreat. Then you've got events that are guaranteed, guaranteed when these three things are in place to bond. Well, and I think the biggest takeaway from all of this is that it's important to be intentional and make time for this. This is not detracting from the work. This is the work and it's going to enable the work to be better. So I love this so much. Shasta, thank you for sharing your insights today. We will have all your links in the show notes, but where can folks on the go, if they're listening right now while they're working out or hanging out with their friends, where's the best place for them to find out more info about you? Yeah, ShastaNelson.com has all of my books listed. And also if you bring trainers or speakers or consultants in, it's all there for ShastaNelson.com. Yes, definitely bring her in, friends. Um, Thank you again for spending time with us. No, you're so welcome. I'm so grateful that you cover this. And yeah, as you know, empathy is such a huge part of those positive emotions. And it's probably one of the most important ones. So I love your work. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Empathy Edge podcast. If you like what you heard, you know what to do. Please rate and review the podcast on your player of choice. Tell a friend or a colleague. And until next time, please remember that cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. Take care, be kind, and don't forget to connect with me on Instagram at Red Slice Maria. For more on how to achieve radical success through empathy, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There you can listen to past episodes, access show notes and free resources, book me for a keynote or workshop, and sign up for our email list to get new episodes, insights, news, and events. Please follow me on Instagram at Red Slice Maria. Never forget, empathy is your superpower. Use it to make your work and the world a better place. Thank you.